First John chapter two. The uh, Apostle John was writing this letter to combat false teaching. And one of the main things that John wanted to do in this letter in order to combat false teaching was to draw a line of distinction between one having a relationship with God and one having fellowship with God. In fact, in verse 3 of chapter 1, we sort of see the, the summary, if you will, the theme that everything John's going to say, uh, he sort of summarizes in chapter 1, verse 3, when he says, What we have seen, what we have heard, we announce to you so that you may have fellowship with us. So there's, you know, that sort of horizontal fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ that even ties into the apostles. And then he says, and our fellowship is also with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So everything that John is going to touch on in this letter comes under the context of fellowship. Now this also, before we get into the actual verses we want to look at tonight, this highlights a very, again, important hermeneutical principle, if you will, of how we interpret the Word of God. And we must always keep what we are reading and what we are studying in its proper context. It is why I choose to study the Bible book by book. It's not that if you study the Bible by topics that that's wrong, but it does lend itself to a little bit more danger of taking things out of their context when you study things topically rather than going through books and studying them expositionally. And the reason this is important in a letter like 1 John is because there are many Christians and many people down through the years who've read 1 John and, and because they're not keeping the context in mind that it's all going back to fellowship with God, they begin to interpret some of the things John says in dealing with re people's relationships with God rather than fellowship. So for instance, I think that's one of the reasons why people then begin to think, maybe I can lose my salvation. Because John is saying things like, if I don't walk in the light, then I don't have, you know, I'm not... I'm not with God. And if I don't love my brothers and sisters in Christ, then uh, I'm not abiding in God. And, and if, if I don't obey His commands, or if I live in a state of sin, then, you know, me and God aren't together. And they look at that as, well, that must mean the relationship is, is gone. The relationship is broken. And that's not where John's coming from at all. He's talking here about fellowship, which is always different and distinct than one's relationship. So again, keep that in mind as we go down through our study of 1 John. Now last week we left off at the end of verse 5 of chapter 2. So tonight we want to begin by looking at 1 John chapter 2 and verse 6. And again, like John wrote in verse 3, 
And John writes again in verse 9, he starts off this verse by talking about someone saying something. Someone insisting on something. Someone affirming something. Someone declaring something. And we've already seen that John is saying, what we say is important, but what we do especially based on what we say, is even more important. Because, as we've already talked about in the letter of 1 John, anyone can say anything. Anyone can claim anything. Anyone can declare anything. But you and I, if we're going to be followers of Jesus Christ and live in fellowship with God, our actions must be consistent with our talk. Uh, There must be a continuity between our lifestyle and what we claim. And so John is reinforcing that throughout this letter because, again, part of his combating the false teaching is that part of that false teaching is people can say anything and yet their lifestyle can just totally be a a, a different lifestyle than anything that, that resembles obedience or being in line with God's will or God's word. And yet they claim that they're good. Everything's okay. We're spiritually on track. And John throughout his letter is going to say, no, no, no. Our lifestyle and what we claim has got to come into alignment. And so once again, John is pointing that out at the beginning of verse 6. The one who says he resides in God ought himself to walk just as Jesus walked. Residing in God is another way of talking about maintaining unbroken fellowship with God. You could use the word stay. You could use the word abide. You could use the word dwell. It's the same concept that Jesus taught his disciples in John's Gospel, chapter 15, which obviously would have been very familiar to the Apostle John. He was there. He heard Jesus say these things too. When Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Unless you abide in me and I in you, you can't bear fruit. In fact, without me, Jesus went on to say, you can't do anything. Again, he's not talking about relationship there. He's talking about fellowship and he's talking about fruitfulness. And Jesus is declaring, you and I, as followers of him, cannot be fruitful unless we stay in fellowship with God. We can be active. We can be involved in ministry. We can do some kind of Christian service. But it doesn't mean we will be fruitful unless we abide in the vine, unless we remain in the vine, unless we stay in the vine. Again, all words that talk about a close connection with God. And so John is saying, one can say they have a close connection with God, that they have fellowship with God, that they and God are like this. We're close. But John says, if that's the case, then it is a requirement. That's what the word ought means. Ought means it is required that we walk just as Jesus walked. The only requirement biblically for a relationship with God 
is faith in Jesus Christ alone for our salvation. That's the only requirement for a relationship with God. That we fully put our trust and confidence in what Jesus has done. And then we are born into the family of God, baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. And we become one of God's children, as Jesus said to Nicodemus. You must be born again. You must be born from above. You must have a supernatural birth, just as we have a physical birth. That's the only requirement is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul says to the Romans, and you will be saved. But in order to have fellowship with God, in order to maintain a close connection, there are many requirements to maintaining fellowship. And we've already talked about many of them. Walking in the light, being transparent in our life before God. If there is sin there, then we confess it. We acknowledge it. We turn to the Lord and repent. All these things are requirement for us to continue to stay close and in close connection with God. And so tonight, John is saying here again, sort of a general principle. If you and I say that we are in close connection with God, then the requirement is our walk must be like Jesus' walk. Okay? We want to talk a lot about this tonight because this is a very important and I think even interesting concept that John brings up describing our, our Christian life and describing even one's fellowship with God when he describes it as a walk. The word in the Greek language means to regulate one's life or to conduct oneself. It's talking about our lifestyle. And John is saying, if we want to maintain fellowship with God, then we've got to have a lifestyle just like Jesus did. Now, what John is not saying is this. John is not saying in order to maintain fellowship with God, you and I have to walk on water like Jesus did. He's not saying that you and I have to go out and raise the dead like Jesus did. He's not saying you and I have to go out and heal somebody like Jesus did. He's talking here about the fact that you and I need to exhibit the character of Christ. That you and I need to have the attitude of Christ. That you and I in our lifestyle need to have the actions of Christ. That what were Christ's priorities need to be our priorities. That what Christ uh, thought was important, we need to adopt as important. What Christ valued, we need to value. That's what it means to walk as Jesus walked. Literally, we need to follow in the footprints of Jesus. See, while Jesus was here on earth, part of, of his mission was going to be that he was going to stay on earth long enough to set an example which is why in the New Testament, many times, it talks about how Jesus is our ultimate pattern and example for living life. And he even stayed so long that he called people to be his followers, and he, he interacted with them on an intimate basis for several years. And he showed them up close and personal 
what it meant to live a lifestyle in alignment with God. So that just like someone like John the Apostle knew very clearly what that lifestyle looked like. Because as he said earlier in this letter, I saw him, I observed him, I touched him, I followed this man for three years. I know what his priorities were. I know what he valued. I know what his lifestyle was like. So therefore, I have now a pattern to be able to follow. Uh, Jesus laid down very clear footprints for John and the other apostles. And Jesus laid down very clear footprints for you and I as well. Now, if you and I then are going to walk just as Jesus walked, according to the way Jesus walked, then one of the things that you and I need to continually do as Christians is make sure that we familiarize ourselves with the walk of Jesus in the Gospels. That's why it's very important for us, no matter what we're studying in our life, that every once in a while we go back to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The best way to, to see how Jesus walked is to study the Gospels. To read the Gospels. There it is, out there for us. You see. And so even in my own life, I'll share this with you, I obviously study a lot of other books of the Bible. But in my personal study, I'm always taking time to always take snippets out of the Gospels as part of my personal devotions every day. That I don't want to get too disconnected from the life of Jesus. Because if I am commanded that in order to stay in fellowship with God, I've got to walk like Jesus walked, then I've got to make sure I familiarize myself and acquaint myself with how Jesus walked. i got to know what that was like. And again, the best way to do that is study the Gospels. But, many times I try to also be a resource for you folks who love to study the Word. So, for those of you that are interested... I have two books that I'm going to recommend tonight that if you'd like to study the life of Christ on a little bit deeper basis than just the Gospels, which again, the Gospels are fine. Nothing wrong with the Gospels. You continue to study the Gospels. And I will tell you this. These two books are on a scholarly level. Now, that doesn't mean I don't think you can handle it. I wouldn't share this if I didn't think you could handle it. I'm just saying... This isn't going to be uh, this isn't going to be like necessarily. Oh, I'm I'm going to get through a lot of material in a short amount of time. It, it's going to make you and I pause and think, because these two works, to me, are the greatest works that a man ever wrote, in a sense, summarizing the life of Christ that I've ever come across. But they are scholarly. The first one is called The Words and Works of Jesus Christ by Dr. J. Dwight Pentecost. Isn't that a great name for a Christian? Pentecost. Again, the title of the book is The Words and Works of Jesus Christ by J. Dwight Pentecost. By the way, you can get these either through CBD, Christian Book Distributors, or Amazon has them as well. 
The other one is called The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah. The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah. And the author of that great work is a man by the name of Alfred Edersheim. Dr. Alfred Edersheim, who is a Jew, but who accepted Jesus Christ as his Messiah. He spells his last name, by the way, E-D-E-R-S-H-E-I-M. Edersheim. Great works. Big works. Again, they cover the entire life of Jesus Christ, but if you ever want a couple, maybe, resources in your Christian library on the life of Jesus Christ to learn more of how to walk like Jesus walked, I would highly recommend either one or both of those. Now, a couple other things about this word walk. The Greek word peripateo, which literally talks about just taking steps, one step at a time. It also implies in the word a a, a concept of purposeful progress. Purposeful progress. In other words, if we're going to walk as Jesus walked, then our life should always consist of purposeful progress. You see. To illustrate that, Keep your finger in 1 John, and I just want to peruse quickly through a couple chapters of the Gospel of Luke to illustrate this. And I want you to go back, first of all, to Luke's Gospel, chapter 9. This is where we'll start. I want you to see, even in the life, the earthly life of Jesus, that there was even a purposeful progress to the steps that he took if you will. That Jesus, as the Son of God, while He was on earth, always was looking to the ultimate purpose for why He was here and always making progress towards that purpose. The reason why that's important for you and I is because if you and I don't walk as Jesus walked and maintain a purposeful progress in our life, we will too easily get distracted and begin to sort of go off here and go off there rather than sort of staying focused and staying on point. And even though everything that Jesus did obviously had a purpose to it, there was an ultimate purpose for why Jesus came. Because without the ultimate purpose, all the other things that Jesus did would have been for naught. The ultimate purpose was he had to go to Jerusalem and he had to be the Lamb of God that was slain from the foundation of the world for our sin. Without that, all the other good things that Jesus did wouldn't have mattered. He had to be our sin bearer. He had to be that sacrifice. And so when he came and even started his earthly ministry, even though it would be three years later, he was always looking towards, that's where I'm headed. That's where I'm going. And I want you to see that tonight. Look at Luke chapter 9, verse 51. Now when the days drew near for him to be taken up, Jesus set out resolutely to go to Jerusalem. It's the idea that he set his face like a flint. He was focused. Again, it's not that 
He didn't care about all the interactions and people that he interacted with and all the things that he did. But ultimately, his purpose for being here was, I'm headed to Jerusalem. And then if you see in verse 53, it says, but the villagers refused to welcome him because he was determined to go to Jerusalem. You see the purposeful progress. Go over then to chapter 13 of Luke's Gospel, verse 22. Then Jesus traveled throughout towns and villages teaching, and notice this last phrase of chapter 13, verse 22 of Luke, making His way toward, where? Jerusalem. Making His way toward Jerusalem. Purposeful progress. Then jump over to chapter 17, verse 11. Look at it. Now on the way to where? Jerusalem. You get the idea, don't you? Jesus was headed somewhere. There there was a purpose, and he was making progress towards that purpose. That's how he walked. Then go over to chapter 18, verse 31. Then Jesus took the twelve aside and said to them, Look, we are going up to... You guys are... You're good. You're good. And then look at chapter 19, verse 28. After Jesus had said this, He continued on ahead, going up to... Jerusalem. Throughout the life of Jesus... There was purposeful progress. And that's what God wants to see in our life because that's then how you and I walk as Jesus walked. A follower of Jesus Christ should always have purpose. That's the way God designed it. We should never, I don't know what purpose is. We should always have purpose and we should always be making progress in our life. It's not about perfection. But it is about progress. That's how you and I walk as Jesus walked. Back to 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. I'll say one more thing about this. I love the fact that the word walk is used here. Because it also reminds us that Jesus set a pace that others could follow. Now think about that. Jesus, by walking, set a pace that others could follow. Even though Jesus, as God, could have set a pace in His life that was unattainable by human beings, that would have been so far out there that no one else would have ever been able to follow, even the Son of God, while He was here on earth, Set a pace by walking, by taking one step after another, so that he could call people to follow in his footsteps. And my point to us today is this. I have so many leaders here in this room tonight. And one of the things then that you and I as leaders need to take away from this is we need to make sure that as spiritual leaders to others, that we are also, like Jesus, setting a pace that others can follow. It does us no good as leaders 
to be so far beyond and so far out in front of others that they just look and throw their hands up and go, I can't do that. That's so unattainable. That, that's so far out there uh, that we get discouraged from even following. See, Jesus walked through his life in such a way that he could turn to people like John and say, follow me. Because I'm not going to set a pace in my life that is unattainable by you. And you and I, if we're going to lead others, we need to make sure that the pace that we set in our life is attainable for others to follow. And I'll say this and then we'll move on. Because I, I, I really do want to get through more than one verse tonight. Even though it's really important. So many of us as Christians, especially in our day and age, we don't walk through life. We run. We run with our hair on fire. And if I had hair, you know. And it's almost like, because I've even been in churches and ministries even like this. It's almost like you're made to feel like if you don't keep up with the Christians whose hair's on fire, that somehow you're, you're not measuring up. But I love what Dr. Archibald Hart said in his book, Thrilled to Death, where he writes about how we, especially in America, but really all over the world, have become adrenaline junkies. And we have gotten so sort of addicted to the adrenaline that we live at in such a fast pace that we don't even know how to walk. We run through life. And we don't even know how to stop like Jesus and get alone with the Father and just spend some time in prayer. And, and, and we don't even know how to rest anymore. And yet, the Bible talks about the fact that God even created a whole day, a Sabbath, for us to rest and spend time with Him. And, and I, I fear that one of the things that has happened is we have become so influenced, even as followers of Jesus Christ, by the way the world is running headlong towards, I don't know what, because they don't have anything to look forward to. You and I do. And we've got to make sure that we, as the old saying goes, learn to stop and smell the roses of life. And we need to learn that if we are going to be followers of Jesus Christ and we're going to maintain fellowship with God and we're going to maintain a close connection with God, it's going to require not that we run through life, but that we walk just as Jesus walked. Some of you tonight, you need to slow down a little bit. Because Jesus set an example that in order for us to live a spiritually healthy life, we need to take life one step at a time. And we need to walk. 
And we need to learn to walk in fellowship with God. And we need to learn to walk in fellowship with one another. If you remember nothing else from tonight's message or passage of Scripture, please remember these words. To walk just as Jesus walked. Those six words. Think about those. Meditate on those. You can even memorize them. Six words. To walk just as Jesus walked. Verse 7. Dear friends, the word speaks about being beloved. It is a term of affection that John uses. Nicole talked to us tonight about the song that we sang about how much God loves us. In fact, in chapter 3 of First John, John even, I think, gets to a place where he just sort of blurts out, see what sort of love the Father has given to us that we should be called God's children? It's like John never got over the fact how much God loved him. And, and when John realized how much God loved him, he was able, through that kind of agape love that God poured into his life through the Holy Spirit, to begin to love other people that way as well. And that's implied in even the wording of, dear friends, you mean a lot to me, John is saying. I I have deep affection for you. You are beloved by God and by me. And then he goes on to say, I am not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you've heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you've already heard. On the other hand, I'm writing a new commandment to you. Is John contradicting himself? No. Here's what John is saying. God gave this old commandment, and and we're going to see here next week, we're going to talk about what that commandment is. It's about loving one another. Okay, so we can just jump ahead a little bit. That's the commandment. And the reason why John starts off in verse 7 by saying, Dear friends, I'm writing to you an old commandment because... In the Mosaic Law, in the book of Leviticus, God commanded His people, even way back then, to love their neighbor as their self. That was from the Old Testament. That wasn't just something new. So John says, when we start talking about loving people, you got to remember that that goes all the way back to the very beginning. It was one of the first things God told His people. Love each other. You see. But then John says, but I am writing a new commandment because I heard my own Savior say, and you can see what the words of Jesus were here in John 13, when Jesus said to his followers, John being included in that, a new commandment I give to you, Jesus said in John 13, 34, to love one another just as I have loved you. So the commandment in itself to love other people is not new, it's old. It goes all the way back to the beginning of the Old Testament and to God's interaction with human beings. It's new in the sense of when Jesus came to the earth as the God-man, Jesus said to his followers, I'm going I'm to give it a little bit of a new perspective. I'm now calling upon my followers. I am commanding you to love each other 
as I have loved you. I have now set again an example, a pattern for you to follow. A walk, if you will, to walk. And so it's not just some nebulous thing like, well, I've, I've got to love my neighbor as myself. Jesus is saying, no, no, no. Use my life. Use the way I love people as an example and pattern for you. And that's what makes it new, in a sense. You see. Now, I want to talk for a minute about this word commandment. It's an important word, and John uses it twice here. God is not telling us this is a suggestion, as even many people think today. It's a commandment. In other words, by its very definition, God's commandments should carry force and authority in our life. These aren't things that God just said, you know, I'm sharing this with you because I got nothing better to do. Take it or leave it. When God revealed and declared his mind, there are many times where he set out precepts and principles for living and he calls them his commandments. And these aren't just the Ten Commandments. They are all through the Bible. And God wants us to take them seriously. And John, in a sense, is saying, if we just blow off the commands of God, if we don't obey those commands, because again, Jesus said to his followers, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, that if we allow God's commandments to have force and authority in our life and we line our lives up by his precepts and principles, then we will remain in fellowship with God. If we do not allow the commands of God to take a proper place in our life and we disregard them, then we can have a relationship with God, but we will not be walking in close connection or fellowship with God. And again, that's one of the things that John is saying here. In verse 8 then, he goes on to say, On the other hand, I'm writing a new commandment to you, because what is true in him is also true in you. In other words, he's saying, the reality is that in Jesus Christ was love. In fact, the Bible, John says later on in his letter, God is love. That's not just a description about God. That's his very nature. He's love. But notice something fantastic that John is saying, and I'll close with this tonight. John says, what is true in him is also true in who? In you. Meaning... You and me. Now, obviously, John was saying this to the people he was writing to, but John could have just as easily said that about you and me. Don't miss that. What is true is true in him and in you. How can... How can... Love if you will, be true in me. Well, to end with tonight, I want to go back to the book of Romans, to cha Romans chapter 5. 
And I want to share with you a very important verse that all of us as Christians need to remember when it comes to love. And again, he, he hasn't come right out and said this is the commandment, but if again we keep reading in 1 John and you look at the context, that's what he's talking about. Love. And notice why John now says to his recipients of this letter and would say about any true Christian that love is not only true in Jesus Christ, but love is also true and authentic in you. It's based on the truth of Romans chapter 5, verse 5, where Paul writes, And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Don't miss this. John and Paul are saying to us as Christians that we never need to have to ask God to give us more love to love somebody. Oh God, that person is so hard to love. Give me more love to love them. No. What we have to recognize and acknowledge as followers of Jesus Christ is if the Holy Spirit of God, if God lives inside of me, then the Bible teaches me that when the Holy Spirit of God came to dwell inside of me, that God poured His love into my innermost being through that Holy Spirit. Through Him. And therefore, as a Christian who now has the indwelling Holy Spirit, I always have the capacity, the ability to be able to love like God loves. Not in my own power, but under the power and control of the Holy Spirit. And that, in that way, I can specifically walk just as Jesus walked. And that's why the Bible, the New Testament, commands us as followers of Jesus Christ to love one another. It's a command. And the word is agape. Sometimes, yes, it's phileo, it's brotherly love. But many times it's agape love. It is that supernatural, selfless, sacrificial love that is embodied in Jesus Christ. And you and I as Christians might say... I can't love people like that. I can't choose to love them like... Yes, we can. Because we have the Holy Spirit. And if you and I yield to the Holy Spirit, if we walk in the Spirit, if we allow the filling of the Spirit and we let the Spirit of God take over, then the Bible teaches the Spirit of God, God Himself, will love through me. You see. And that I actually do have Love already inside of me. What John then is going to take off on, and we'll talk about this next week, is this love that is inside of me as a Christian through the Holy Spirit and His presence, God doesn't want it to just sit there. He wants, again, us to just be a conduit, a channel, an instrument for God's love to throw, to, to flow 
out from me to touch other people's lives. And when I live that way, then again, I'm walking just as Jesus walked. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the great example and pattern that Jesus laid down for us while he was here on earth. He walked. He laid down footprints that you and I can follow. That we, if we're serious followers of Jesus Christ, we can see what those footprints are that he laid down. And we can literally place our feet right in those footprints and follow him. God, thank you. And help us, God, to desire to walk just as Jesus walked. So that, God, our life and our lifestyle and the choices and priorities and values of our life can reflect your heart. And then in turn, we can be an example where we are laying down footprints for others to follow in as well. So that again, like John said, then we can not only have fellowship with each other, but our fellowship can be with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. God, help us to love like Jesus. And help us to receive the love that you have for us tonight, God. We sang about it tonight. We've read about it tonight. May it be realized in our life. And then expressed to everyone we come in contact with. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you guys for being here tonight. Have a great week and we'll see you next week.